0: length would you go if a loved one of yours was sick or dying in their suffering what would you be willing to do to alleviate the suffering they face I know in 2005 I was met with that with my grandpa he had cut his toe right after I had left taking care of him and my granny all that summer. I had barely been gone three days, he hops on the mower for the first time, tips it on a bank and cuts his big toe. They tried to save the toe, infection after infection sets in over the next four months. But as those infections would set in and I was a first year university student in Knoxville, I began to pray. Every day, walk into class. If you've ever been to the University of Tennessee, I love the mountains, but uh, you folks in the flatlands know nothing of, of having to hike until you've hiked some of the hills we had to walk to class. So I had lots of time to walk and pray. And I would pray, God, my grandpa, he's the bedrock of our family, Lord. If, if something happens to him and you take him, we're gonna be a mess. I was right in the sense because we've been a mess ever since now. There was some idolatry in that prayer, too. It should have been Jesus. We were seeking, but I was willing to say this falling statement. Lord, let me suffer instead, Put, put his suffering on me. If somebody has to suffer, let me take his place because I love my grandpa. And I wanted him to be well. Now, I've only increased an understanding of what links I would go to as a parent. As you notice, my wife and and two girls are not here this morning because the oldest is home with a stomach bug. I would give anything for it to have been me the one waking up in the middle of the night throwing up. I know Darcy would the same. We would give anything to go to rescue our children. And we hear this morning the story of a man who is driven to such desperation. We see that in this official, this ruler, in Capernaum of Galilee. What lengths is he willing to go to to save his child as death tightens its grip around his son? So if you have a Bible, I invite you to go open up to John chapter 4, verses uh, 43 through uh, 54 this morning. That's our text. As you're turning there, just to recap, over the last three or so months, we have been working our way through the gospel of John. Now, before anyone frets, we're we're not going to go straight through John. We're going to pause here in a few weeks and actually look at the book of Proverbs for a little while before coming back to John. But as we've been working our way through this first time in John and this first section we've been seeing that John the Apostle who wrote this gospel account has been laboring to show us that all people are being shared the gospel with that all people the gospel is for we've seen that in numerous accounts we saw this first in John chapter two Jesus performing a a miracle and his disciples coming to affirmation of this that he is the messiah as john 3 came we saw that of a religious teacher coming to see jesus and jesus explaining to him what must happen for him to enter the kingdom of heaven of course the religious leader did not believe he did not understand this truth so he had yet to believe then jesus goes Samaria he said it must go through Samaria on his way to Galilee and he does a work there beginning with a Samaritan woman a promiscuous woman at that you see the gospel is for all people not in the sense of a universalist where everyone is going to all of a sudden in one moment believe We don't believe that everyone in the world is going to all of a sudden or will actually come to the moment of faith. But we know that this gospel, it really is for all peoples, that whosoever will believe in Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. The question is, who will actually believe? As Jesus has gone through his own land, his own town, people have continued to resist. The Pharisees are rising in opposition as Jesus' fame increases, even over that of John the Baptist. A religious leader in the, the nation of Israel has yet to believe. He questioned, he didn't understand these basic things of you must be born again of water and spirit. This Messiah must be lifted up on the cross so that all can look to him and be saved. And yet in Samaria, a a nation of outcasts, there was belief. In Samaria, people actually came to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah. So will the nation of Israel come to believe? And that's where we pick up here in John 4, verses 43 through 54. Hear the word of the Lord from John 4, verses 43 through 54. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed that the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him the father knew that was the hour when jesus had said to him your son will live and he himself believed and all his household this was now the second sign that jesus did when he had come from judea to galilee such an interesting section of text and yet it reveals much to us about what it means to believe And here's what I think is the main idea of this text, and if I'm doing this whole preaching thing rightly, the main idea of this sermon. Don't just marvel at the signs and wonders of Jesus. Let them drive you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to save us. Let me repeat that, and it's on the screen there. Don't just marvel at the signs and wonders of Jesus. Let them drive you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to save us. Now, that's a lot to unpack, and we will, Lord willing, do that. But we're going to do so in two points. Point number one, marveling isn't honoring. Marveling isn't honoring. Point number two, honoring is believing. Honoring is Let's look at point number one. Marveling isn't honoring. Verse 43 and 44 again. After the two days he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. You'll see there in verse 44, if you have a Bible like mine in the sense uh, it's bracketed off. What what John the Apostle is doing here is he's giving his own interpretation or his own commentary account here of saying like, okay Jesus didn't say this, but I remember this through Jesus's teaching. And I think it's important for you as readers to know right here. Jesus thought that prophets have no honor in his hometown or his own country if you're using an NIV or Christian Standard Bible which I think is actually a better understanding of this. But why? What what is being emphasized here? What does it mean that G, a prophet has no honor in their own hometown? Well, because after speaking to the Samaritans and bearing fruit and seeing the harvest begin to be collected in, the the sower and the reaper taking in harvest and rejoicing with the Samaritans, Jesus now enters back into Israel proper, into the land of Galilee, where he has no honor. He has no honor here amongst his own people. No one has yet to believe him. They've been in marvel of him. They put on a facade of giving him attention. And we see that in what follows in verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now notice what it is that they're marveling at. They're not welcoming Jesus because of who he is, the Son of God, the Messiah. They welcome him in because of what he has done of the signs and the wonders They're welcoming Jesus in as mere fans, as mere in astonishment of what he can offer them. Now, Jesus is going to unfold this for us here in a moment. But friends, let me make this statement. It's easy to be fans of Jesus because it requires nothing of us. It's easy to be fans of Jesus because it requires nothing of us. These fans of Jesus that stood back and marveled could come and request and seek something from Jesus, but not give anything of themselves, not be forced to change what they thought or how they lived. So they marveled as nothing more than fans. But look at how this goes. Jesus, in this fanfare, He has not been pleased. Hold your place with me there in chapter 4 and turn back to John 2, uh, John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. John 2, verses 23 through th- 25. It says there in John 2, 23 through 25. He is not honored by those who simply believe in his name because of the signs he's done. He wants them to believe in him because of who he is. He wants the signs to verify his identity and that they may come to the place of testifying. This is the son of God. This is the one who came to take away the sins of the world. And yet, the reality is we have so many fans of Jesus. We have fans here in first century Judea and Israel and Galilee. But we also have fans in 2023. We have fans of Jesus. They want to seek from Jesus. They'll gladly come and and receive the signs and the wonders and, and miracles performed on them. What can they gain from Jesus? They'll take of it. But the moment it requires something of them, the moment it requires them to actually take up a cross and suffer, they run away. These aren't just the ones who, who identify as Jesus and never sit foot in the church. These fans of Jesus will actually fill in churches. On this Lord's Day, on March nineteenth, 2023, there are fans of Jesus gathered in churches. These fans will actually give. They'll actually serve with their time. They'll actually stand and sing. These fans of Jesus will look as if they're actually worshiping Jesus. But here's the, the staunch distinction here. Fans, it's about them and what they can get from it. Fans who the moment it doesn't go that way, their way, The moment things seems to be a little rocky, they begin to to grumble and complain because they think worship's about them. They're the ones who are offended when you don't sing their favorite songs that morning. Their fans are the ones that are more concerned about how they're moved by the beat of the music than they are the truth exalted about Christ. Those are fans of Jesus. Friends, for far too long, we've had more fans of Jesus than we have followers of Jesus. We need to see that there is a staunch difference. Jesus isn't pleased. He's not honored by fanfare. He doesn't want you as a fan cheering him on as a cheerleader. He wants our full obedience He wants our full trust in Him and Him alone. But too many of us are like fans of sports teams. Tennessee fans. Yes, I'm going to go there. Tennessee fans are some of the the best and worst fans of all time. And I, I promise I'm running to the gospel here. Fans of the University of Tennessee are so great that... When they speak, they'll stop a coaching hire in a heartbeat. Back in 2017, uh, the University of Tennessee was pursuing to hire Greg Sciano. Greg Sciano was a coach now. He's the head coach of Rutgers. But Greg Sciano was tied to the scandal that happened with Penn State under Joe Paterno. Tennessee fans said no blocked an AD from making a hire because of how passionate they are. But those same fans, they'll show up for years in dedication, pay their dues and their seats, but the moment, the moment it doesn't go their way, I can tell you from personal experience, they will begin to harass student athletes, 18 to 22 years old. There's times we've come back from a road trip and we, we on the University of Tennessee have what's known as the rock. It's a large, large rock bigger than our screen. People will paint it in excitement and good news most of the time. But after games, there was times we would come back and a player's phone number for harassment was on it. And me and my colleagues would have to go out and cover it up because of the ignorance of fandom. Because they thought the player didn't play up to how they thought he should. You see, this is what fans of Jesus do. They're they're more concerned about what they got out of it and their expectations than what Jesus has actually ever said. Don't be fans of Jesus. Don't be fans. And again, we see Jesus begin to unfold this aspect of he does not want fanfare. Look at verses 46 and 47. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, where was, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. We see here a desperate father going to great lengths to come and find a solution for his dying son. But let it be noted that Jesus was not most likely the first person this official went to, this potential royal official. He probably sought the best doctors in the land to heal his son and they weren't able. He probably sought all sorts of of, Herbal remedies that may have cured this type of thing in the land and it didn't work. Jesus was probably the last person in the world this royal official came to to seek to heal his son. But nonetheless, he was brought to, to the point of needing to make this 15 to 20 minute mile trek from Capernaum to Cana to ask Jesus to heal him. Hearing that he was there, he was willing to do whatever necessary To heal his son. But how does Jesus respond to this request? To this request of this official in healing his son. Verse 48. So Jesus said to him. Unless you see signs and wonders. You will not believe. Unless you see signs and wonders. You will not believe. Now it says you there. Again, if you've got an NIV or a Christian Standard Bible, I, I love the way they actually translate this section of text because they grasp this better. It says something like people or "or the the whole of it. The you here is plural. It's meant to not be just addressed at the royal official. It's addressed at the whole of the people there, of the Israelites, those of Galilee. It's saying you all, you Jews, are not going to believe unless you see signs and wonders. He's calling them out that their hearts are so hardened that apart from this, they're not going to believe. This is the only means for them to awaken to the point of belief. Friends, let me tell you something about signs and wonders. Maybe someone in here or maybe someone you know, as you do evangelism with, is going to tell you, if I only got a sign, I would believe in Jesus. If I only had a sign to show me that he's real and true, I would believe. If that is you, dear friend, if that is someone you know, they could see a hundred signs and would never believe. Because they are being shown, first and foremost, signs right here in John's gospel account. That Jesus is who he said he was. That he had the power to speak but a word and to heal the sick. To release the grip of death from them. They saw and have heard the signs of the resurrected Jesus. That he rose and ascended. Friends... That is the sign we need most. We need to see that Jesus is who he says he is. And the very fact that his eyewitnesses were willing to die for that proclamation should tell us all the sign we need. If Jesus' disciples and and followers simply thought, okay, this is a great hoax idea, guess what? The moment persecution sets in, they're going to run. They're going to say, oh, okay, we were just kidding. Jesus didn't ride from the dead. We don't want to die. Why would they be willing to suffer and die? Because they truly believed it. Friends, you need no more sign than that. Let the truths of Christian past and history, let the truths found in the gospel be the sign we need. But the problem is, again, we keep saying we need signs without believing because of a hardened heart. We need to see the reality is that if we do not have a new heart, if we do are not born again, we will not believe no matter how many signs. And the reality is if we remain in that unbelief, we will perish to an eternity of hell, of eternal torment and torture, where there is no ceasing, there is no comfort, there is no hope. That's what unbelief does. You can be the biggest fan of Jesus all you want. But if you continue just in fanfare without belief, you have no salvation. You need Jesus and need to actually come to the point of belief today while there is still time. Because let it be known, you may think you have time, but notice it's a son, a child, a who the father seeks life for, healing for. A father was at the potential reality of maybe having to bury a son. You may think you have time and maybe I'll deal with that when I'm old. There is no time like the present because tomorrow is not guaranteed. See the urgency of the need to believe in Jesus. Keep Being a fan of Jesus and it will not change anything. Honoring does not come through fanfare. Honoring comes through believing. And that's where we turn in our second point this morning. Again, looking at verses 46... Uh, and, and falling here. Uh, we, we see this this official, this royal official coming to seek Jesus in the midst of this. But notice first and foremost what it is driving him to Jesus. It's the suffering of a child. Verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. This official is forced to run to Jesus in fear for his son's life, his child's life. It's suffering that has come into his life and now forces him to seek Jesus. Friends, until we're brought to the place of lowliness and humbled, we will never seek Jesus. Because we're going to pursue other things thinking we somehow can find our hope and our satisfaction in them. When things are well, we think we can stand on our own two feet. Or even worse, the ungodly statement, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Until we're knocked so far down that not even we can stand. That's what is happening here in the midst of this suffering that a man is being brought. One who has probably every resource at his ends. Again, it's most likely that this is a royal official high up. So he's got money. He's got status. He knows all the right people to get healing and he can't. He's brought to the place of needing to run to Jesus. That's what he's being faced with. Suffering brings us to the place of humility and seeing our need in Jesus. Proverbs 18:12 makes the statement. Before destruction a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Let me repeat that. Proverbs 18:12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Suffering is something that works to humble us, to take away the haughtiness, the proudness, the boastfulness, the arrogance, and brings us to humility so that we can then rightly honor Jesus. Friends, we have members right now who are facing various hard circumstances. We have known people, and maybe we in our own lives have faced incredible suffering, hardships that we don't even like to tell others about. That suffering is not in vanity. The Lord uses suffering to draw us near to himself, to strengthen us, to sustain us, to grow us. I love what J.C. Ryle writes in his expository commentary. He says here, far better than I could, he writes, Health is a great blessing, but sanctified disease is a greater. Let us beware of murmuring in the time of trouble. Let us settle it firmly in our minds that there is meaning, a needs be, and a message from God in every sorrow that falls upon us. There are no lessons so useful as those learned in the school of affliction friends brothers sisters in Christ let us embrace suffering because in suffering we are brought nearer to God in dependence upon him alone if all was well with us we would never be forced to get on our knees and cry out to God in utter dependence Maybe whatever you're facing right now, or beloved ones are facing, maybe it's for the sake of humbling you or your friend so that they cast themselves even more on you. This is true of believers as much as it is of unbelievers. It's in suffering that we grow in godliness. We're forced to realize our weakness and our need to depend on Jesus alone. Think of how many times we say, Lord, I know I need to be given more to prayer. And we don't All's going well. We forget it. We don't make time for it. What does suffering do? It forces us to our knees. It forces us to cry out to God more fervently, more persistent than we've ever done before. It makes us realize we can't in our own strength stand. Suffering, when it works, it's breaking us and say, okay, Lord, I don't have the strength to bear this. I don't have the strength to carry this on my own shoulders. Run to God in the midst of suffering and see how that he is going to use this for your ultimate good. Yes, it's painful in the moment. It's painful like discipline but it's for your good because God wants you to be dependent upon him and him alone because we need to be dependent upon him because when we're dependent upon ourselves friends that's when we seek the things of the flesh and the world when we're dependent on self we begin to think you know I I can do things. I I think this is sufficient way to do things. So maybe I'll just go and and give in to sexual promiscuity like the Samaritan woman. Or maybe I I really don't like this person. You know, I'm good enough here. Maybe I'm going to trash talk this individual, this neighbor. Lie about them. You know, just a white lie. You see what self-dependence does we depend upon self and and we run to sin suffering brings us to the knees where our only hope is Jesus parents whether you're a new parent with young kids like myself or your kids are all grown up and you're raising grandkids or great grandkids don't teach your children to be dependent upon you even in sickness will go to great lengths to care for them But we cannot be their hope in the midst of great suffering. We can be by their side. We can hold their hand. We can pray with them. But they need that dependence upon the Lord. Teach the children in your life to depend upon the Lord. The triune God far more than you do yourself. Don't have children that are dependent on you for everything. Help them to see their dependence and their need of dependence on God. Continuing to see this, we see also that this suffering leads to belief. It leads to an awakening. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. The man had persisted in asking Jesus to come and to heal his son through this suffering he was forced to come to Jesus and ultimately it led to him believing and taking Jesus at his word and responding in accordance because we see there in 51 through 53 his response as he was going down wait a minute Jesus their only spoken word he was going down he was leaving he took Jesus at his word And he met his servants along the way. His servants met him and told him that his son was recovering there in 51, 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Suffering brings us to faith, whether For the first time, or to a greater faith? Friends, let us embrace suffering. But let us also see that what belief is. It's belief in a word. The word spoken by Jesus. Again, look back there at verse 50. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. Jesus doesn't want us to marvel as fans. He wants us to believe his word about who he is and what he's done. This official, this royal official, who's probably not even a Jew, but a Roman, comes to the place a belief. He takes Jesus at his word. And what does he do? He doesn't sit there. He goes as instructed. Go. Your son will live. He comes to that place of belief. Suffering works to lead us to this belief. But we need to believe what the word that is given. Friends, how many of us have failed to hold to the word that is spoken by Jesus in our belief. You hear people tell about their testimonies and, and their stories, of, or especially how did you come to Jesus? This may offend some of you, and it's not the intent, but I, I want you to see and even rethink of how you tell your testimony here. So many Christians, when they come to Jesus or, or talk about it, I heard in church and there was an altar call and I came forward. I walked the aisle and that's the moment I believed. Do you believe what? You believed in the experience of walking forward and praying a prayer. You put your trust in that prayer and, and somebody said, "Oh, okay, now you're a Christian because you repeated after me." You will find that nowhere in scripture though. I don't say this to offend you in the sense I want us to believe according to the word What is that belief? It's believing what Jesus spoke. That if you believe in me, you shall not perish and have eternal life. Stop putting our trust in a prayer and a procedure or waters of baptism, but trust in Jesus that he said, all who believe in me will have eternal life. That's faith. It's taking Jesus on but a word spoken and saying, I believe Jesus and what he said. I'm going to rest in that. I'm going to believe in the word when it says that Abraham was counted righteous for believing God's promises. Are we going to be declared righteous because we believe in the word that Jesus has spoken? That all who believe in him, the good news of Jesus Christ, will have eternal life. Let that be the anchor of our belief. Let us hold to that word in that belief because Jesus is our only hope and you know this this shapes how we live too, Christian this means we stop thinking that I've got to try so hard to earn God's forgiveness I've got to try so hard to just be a good Christian we're weighted down with this if this is our understanding of the gospel and what it means to believe that Jesus still needs our help to to help clean ourselves up. He does not need your help. His blood washed away it all. Christian, that's free. Then we can actually live and respond in faith based on that word. Do you know it's a lot easier to live the Christian life when you're not burdened thinking somehow it depends on what I've done? When you realize and you truly understand That it's by his word that if we take hope in that, we trust in that, that we're actually declared righteous the moment we believe his gospel truth. We're actually able to live a lot freer and a lot easier of the Christian life. Because it's out of the overflow of that rejoicing of that word than it is of us trying to muster up strength, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and do the Christian life without actually having faith. rest in this word spoken by Jesus here see how he overturns everything of death by a word look again back to verse 49 and 50 the officials said to him sir come down before my child dies Jesus said to him go your son will live the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went On his way it's by this word that Jesus overturns death it's by his word that the curse of sin is destroyed in his sacrificial death on the cross it's the promise that this will suffice it's confidence in his word that when he rises from the grave that he's going to ascend to the father He spoke all of this. We're going to see this in John 17. The high priestly prayer. Jesus knew what was coming. His words proclaimed it. Are we going to believe that truth or not? Are we going to rest in that truth of a word? That the word is what overturns death and the curse of sin? Are we going to keep trying to do things our own way as little fans of Jesus? Thinking it's about us somehow. Jesus came to live, to die, to save us. He pursued us, yes. But it was not to make our names great. It was to make his. So that we may marvel at what the triune God has done. And we may believe God at his word. And be counted righteousness are righteous because of that belief. Friend, your salvation rests in that. But also notice that because of that, because of that belief in the Word, it doesn't remain and just keep you still where you're at. It increases. That faith is going to grow if we rightly are believing Jesus and honoring Jesus. That belief is going to increase in multiple ways. Look at verse 53. The father knew that the hour, that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. First, the father himself believed. Wait a minute. Said, didn't the father already believe the word? Yes. But his heart was strengthened in faith, even as he heard that this was the very hour his son was healed when Jesus spoke that the father that Jesus from afar had spoken a word his son was immediately healed from a distance it strengthened his faith he grew in that faith he was encouraged by it faith doesn't just happen once it continues to increase if we rightly believe Jesus That word does a work in us. But it also spreads. It says, and his household. As the man, the official went to tell his home of all that happened. And how this all came about. They believed too. His household being that of his wife and his son. And any servants within the house. They came to believe because of the testimony of this man. Of what had just taken place. Others come to believe. This belief increases, it grows in us when we rightly believe. Friends, this is how we honor Jesus. This is what brings Him honor. Don't let us be like many Israelites in the day that missed what it meant to honor the Messiah King as He came. It wasn't to put Him to the test. It wasn't for Him to uh, meet their Expectations. It was for him to fulfill God's word in redeeming mankind. Believe that word. Rest in that word. And see, even the signs are meant to draw us to belief. Verse 54. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Jesus now had twice come into Galilee and performed signs, one that led his disciples to a confirmation of who he was by turning water to wine, and now of this royal official in the healing of his son, but by a word. Yes, some of us may need that sign, but it's not to just simply cause us to be fans, but to lead us to belief Belief that Jesus is the Son of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Will you make sure that's what you're resting in, Christian? And will you allow your suffering to be a part of strengthening that belief and that faith? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you